welcome to the Every Woman podcast. I'm Anna, your host, and every month we'll be bringing you lively discussion and debate with inspiring women making a difference around the world, asking the questions you want the answers to and doubtless prompting some more in the process. So listen in to hear the stories, insights and opinions of those setting the pace and being the change. Today we're talking to the Reverend Joanna Jepson, Anglican priest, author, broadcaster and coach about faith. After a challenging, confusing and often uncertain year, our resilience has been tested and ideas of belief and security have been at the fore. How important is it to live with a feeling of trust and faith in ourselves, in our wider community and in our world? And how can we regain our faith wherever we place it when it seems to be lost? Joanna herself has had a wide ranging career from setting up the first chaplaincy at the London College of Fashion to setting up a mentoring training program for inmates at Louisiana State Penitentiary. She's currently chaplain to the Royal Wessex Yeomanry and the Army Training Regiment. So welcome, Joanna. Hi, Anna. It's lovely to be with you. So let's leap in with the big question. What is faith? How do we understand faith? So I always understand faith slightly differently to hope. Sometimes I think that um, if we think about hope, it's looking at something that could happen. So I might hope that I get a new job and, um, you know, be hopeful about that. But I think faith is slightly different. Faith is kind of on a different frequency, if you like, at sort of a heart level. So if you think about hope being the things that our brain wants and desires and looks forward to, faith is like a frequency where we have a deep sense of trust that even though the things we hope for might not work out, that underlying it, we will be okay. We have got a deeper sense of trust and possibly knowing that we can tap into that we will rise to the challenges, even though what we hope for may not come to pass. And I think it's about sort of digging into that. You might say it's a sixth sense. It's a it's just a, a, a kind of almost like a, a frequency of the heart that trusts that we are held by something bigger than ourselves. And I think that's what's so amazing about faith is that it, it taps us into something beyond our own resources, something bigger than ourselves. And, and we exercise it, you know, we, as we step out, maybe we're just going to flash of faith about something. But if we act on that, it, it grows that, that sense of trust in our faith um, beyond what we began with. And is it, uh, you know, something that also reminds us that we don't have to do it all by ourselves? There is a sense that we have to do everything by ourselves. We have to fix the world. We have to look after everybody, especially in times that have been as challenging as this year. I th- absolutely. I think... Um, the wonder of faith is that it always takes us beyond ourselves. It takes us beyond our part that we're asked to play in the world um, and turns us outwards and says, you know, how do I fit in um, and how can I serve other people? How can I take what I have and turn outwards and bring about a, a better reality for others because I just have that sense of a vision. I think it's that vision at a heart level, you know, and if you can sense that vision at a heart level, then you can start to live in a way that 
will hopefully bring it about. So in a sense, it's sort of believing in order to see rather than seeing is believing. It's the opposite of that. And, you know, I think resilience is is absolutely a shared thing. I think our resilience is, is held in our relationships and in our network of love and friendship and that turning outwards towards others. So that's an important point, isn't it? Because obviously when you talk about faith, you are situating it in a, in a Christian uh, framework and obviously that's where you place your faith. But if somebody is an atheist listening to this, you know, you can still have faith, can't you? It's not It's not that you have to have faith with a big F, but having faith with a little F, if that's the right way to put it, can be as powerful. Yeah, I think we've got to be able to um, say that it's different from being religiously devout for a better <laughs> phrase, you know. Having faith is part of being a human being. We've all got faith in something, but I think each of us, simply because we're human and we have that ability to dig deep into um you know the frequency of the heart have that ability to live by faith and it only needs to be a very small thing you know jesus said faith the size of a mustard seed which is like the tiniest thing ever is all it takes because that gets us to step out beyond what we can see and what you know reality would tell us is the way things are and, you know, that ability to step out and envision a bigger future or a bigger uh, possibility is something that is a gift for every human being. I work training recruits in the army. And one of the things that I get them to think about, you know, they're, they're young men and women right on the cusp of adulthood, beginning to envision a very different future for themselves. And one of the things I say to them is, you know, Think about these three questions. Who am I? Who am I? And what am I about? What am I for? So I think it's the same kind of questions, but just perhaps underlying it is a different belief, mm. perhaps. There was just a lovely example. Uh, years ago, I was um, traveling with a group of friends around the Greek islands, and we'd gone out to a nightclub one night in Mykonos, and we saw this girl standing by herself in this club, and it was really evident she was on her own. So in the end, I went over and I spoke to her and I had just invited her to come and join me and my group of friends. And it was lovely. She sort of hung out with us for the evening. And much later on in the evening, she said to me quietly, you know, I've been really ill for a long time. And I decided to kind of mark the fact that I'm better. I was going to go. She was German. She said, I'm going to go traveling and Tonight, she said, I just decided I was going to go out and go clubbing. And I felt the universe say, it will be okay. It will be okay. Mm. And I did. And, and here I am hanging out with you and your friends. And I just thought it was such a lovely kind of act of faith. She could have easily told herself, you know, don't go out on your own. That's a stupid thing to do. No one will talk to you or whatever. But for her, that kind of act of faith was so momentous in her journey of recovery. And she was met in that moment by us. I mean, could we define faith in a very loose way as being very as being open, as being open Absolutely. to things rather than closed off? As you said, you know, negativity and and uh, fear are very prevalent 
at the moment. I mean, yes, it's an exceptional year, but generally speaking, it's much easier to be negative than it is to be open and and, and light and uh, accepting of things in a weird sort of way. That's right. I think living with faith is about acting to open doors, to make possibilities a reality. You know, I think so often we we get overcome by that, the monkey mind, you know, mm. what, what the Buddhists call the monkey mind, which I love, you know, that phrase, it's always scanning our horizon for things to be worried about and afraid of and to doubt. And actually having faith is about getting beyond that part of our brain that will always try and keep us small and safe. And instead, being willing to kind of tune into the heart, which tells us, you know, things that are far greater, perhaps, than that mm. little monkey mind will will scream at us. Do you think that we've lost that sense of, of how important faith is to resilience, however we define faith? Do you know what? I think that people are far more willing to embrace the spiritual side of things and to embrace the idea of faith and resilience. And I think the the problem has often been that we haven't needed to exercise that resilience to quite the degree that we have have this year. (laughs) You know, what I say to my soldiers is, you know, if you watch a PowerPoint presentation about going to the gym, is it going to make you, you know, army fit? Are you going to exercise those muscles that you need to be fit? And they all say no. And I say, well, it's exactly the same for our character. And, you know, I'm training them to become men and women who are courageous, disciplined, respectful of others, self-sacrificing, you know, selflessly committed, who are shaped by integrity. And all of those things require exercise. And I think we all know that faith and resilience do hang together very, very, um, very importantly. And and yet we need to lean into the, the things that are going to train us and exercise those muscles so that we develop it. And I think that that's why this year has become such a monumental opportunity for us when it's felt like we're losing so much and so much is coming undone and we feel so much um, lack of control. And I I think we're so used in in this part of the world to believing Mm. that we can almost be in control of our lives. And here (laughs) we are just so desperately out of control. And I've really just been encouraging my recruits and my soldiers to lean into this okay this is like exercise resilience this is this is our opportunity to face square on the challenges that this year has thrown up this year has tested our sense of what reality is and what it should be and it's a very interesting point you make about it peeling back the cover of the fact that you know there is an illusion that we are in control usually I think um this year has proved that externally possibly not. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But still, I'm drawn to the idea that on a sort of very individual level, that part of the resilience of this year is about the faith that you can do more, you can be more, you can give more, you can always do that, because you are the point of power, in terms of you are the, you know, you are 
You're the agent. You're the agent. Exactly. I was looking for that exact word. (laughs) Moved by, you know, God, spirit, uh, psychology, whatever it is that you, however you understand it, but you are still, you have that agency and that agency, the faith, faith is a part of that agency, isn't it? I mean, you can't really have resilience if you sit there like, you know, this year and you're sort of thinking, well, I can do nothing. I can do nothing. And, and yes, you might not be able to solve the pandemic or, you know, do all the millions of things that you would like to do for other people, but you can do some things, can't you? That's right. And I, I'm, you know, as a coach and as a priest, I always am about celebrating with people the small acts of defiant faith and fierce grace that, (laughs) you know, are out there that are within our power to choose. And those acts of grace-filled resistance, nothing is wasted. Everything is gathered up to, to help us and to help others, you know, strengthen and take that next step and, and carry on and believe that, you know, we are still capable of making that choice. Mm, I love the phrase defiant faith. I mean, that's just brilliant. I'm going to have that. Yeah, you can have that. Put on a (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt. And and I guess also faith then in that respect helps us to make sense of a world that, that, that has, you know, certainly this year has often seemed to make no sense. And it depends on how you see it making sense. But I think that was an idea that generally we were all moving towards, you know, some kind of progress and, and, you know, uh, things were fairly settled. We kind of knew where we were. And then suddenly it was all thrown up in the air. And then you've had other things like the American elections, of course, a lot of challenging of realities and, and, and the Me Too movement and the Black Lives Movement. You know, there's been a lot of stuff that has been swirling around for yeah. good and for bad. Yeah. And to make sense of that as an individual can be quite overwhelming, can't it? It can. It can. It really can be overwhelming. And I think that that's where just the act of being willing to sit still and think, what can I do today? Certainly for for me, just that morning opportunity to pray and to meditate and just be still and know that God is God. And I don't have to save the world. That Mm. that isn't my, no one's asking me to, thankfully. Um, And I don't (laughs) need to take that that on. But today, in the encounters I'm going to have, you know, what, what can I do? What are the conversations I can have? Um, you know, what, what act of protest can I join in with? Who can I ally with? You know, who's, who's out there, you know, fighting the fight? I think those things are always there for us. And some days we're going to have the ability to take on so much more and we're going to have the opportunity to, to do something perhaps really courageous and huge. But actually, most of us, it's just those small acts. But but those are defiant acts of faith and hope. You know, we're heading towards Christmas, and I'm I'm celebrating early this year because, frankly, I just think we need to. <laughs> I'm like, bring it. You have, know? You got, have you got your tree up already? Then <laughs> my, my advent calendar has been up since about October. You know. <laughs> an extended period of advent and preparing for christmas because you know that that whole thing of christmas this year i am feeling it is such a relief this is the god who doesn't stay far off to, ready to present our perfect picture to her or him that <laughs> or is, it yeah or her, you know, <laughs> that that's not god the god 
that, that I worship is the God who comes into the midst of the mess, you know, mm. in the form of a fragile, tiny baby who's a refugee, you know, couldn't be more vulnerable. And the thing about babies is that they invite people to go come close and go ooh and ah and want mm. to cuddle them and be their best selves. And that's that's the, the invitation that God God gives us. Here I am. I almost feel like I don't want to ask the next question because you've, you've, you know, sort of left that on such a beautiful point. But um, just in terms of faith, have you, have you ever lost your faith? So I would say that that has definitely happened to me twice. And it has happened when senior leaders in the church have behaved in cowardice and who have tried to sit in their high office and cover up what needs to be addressed and sorted out and put right. So in other words, I think my faith or my, I don't think you can separate faith from who I am. I think it's its so much more fundamental. It's that actually when I've seen injustice going on in the church, it has caused such rage and grief and depression mm. within me that I have struggled to go to church. I have struggled to see people in robes, which mm. <laughs> ironic because uh, you know, sometimes <laughs> I wear them. <laughs> um, but it has been that. I have been absolutely floored by people who should uphold justice and truth mm. and who have covered up sex abuse for example and I think at those times um I it isn't so much that I've stopped believing in God it doesn't work like that so much it's just I found it very hard to be within the the institution that has allowed those things those miscarriages of justice to happen mm. and that institution is also the vehicle by which I have a language and expression for my faith. So, you know, I have had to stay away from church for a long time, which thankfully as an army chaplain, you know, it has, I have been able to, <laughs> I haven't been a vicar in those periods of life. So it, it has been manageable. Um, I've had to stay away from church and simply wrestle with the unforgiveness. Actually, that's where it manifests itself for me. And so I think like a process of grief, the process of forgiving is an act of faith, even though it can take a monumentally long time. And that's how I've had to sort of recalibrate and my feet again so if we transpose that onto sort of a, a, a sort of secular thing it, 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 for example uh, if people have been very angry at some of the things yeah. that have been happening this year politically perhaps um the, the arguments that have been raging 
the same process then probably still applies, doesn't it? You know, I think you would agree that it's it's not sort of press a button and there we go and we're done. Now we've all forgiven. It's no. it's that's a weekend well spent. You know, no, it's it's <laughs> it's going to be. It's a process by which, and again, something perhaps in modern twenty four seven always on culture is 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 a bit of an anathema to a lot of people. Now you've got to sit with stuff, haven't you? You've you got have to, to feel your way through it. Yes to come out the other side exactly it and you know I would say find your inner circle find your inner circle of people with whom you can be truthful and honest about what you are struggling with and and whatever the ugliness is that comes out of that struggle um whether it's rage or bitterness or unforgiveness or um complete sort of resignation and cynicism you know whatever it is for you um, find people who will hold you and remind you who you are, despite the what I like to think of as the weather, the weather patterns that are clouding over the mountain of who you are underneath it. We are our core self. And I think in those times of, let's call it a loss of faith for, for a better word, one of my fears was, what if I lose myself? in this process and actually having people around me who would remind me of who I really am and the truth of who I am was so important. And then eventually I found my way back to, you know, actually the whole Bible, I think, is basically a conversation through the ages of people trying to work out what it means to have faith in God, in a good God, when life isn't good and people can be wicked and destructive and injustices happen. And I think at the core of the church's daily rhythm is this praying of the Psalms. And the Psalms are like the, the raw honesty of ordinary human beings crying out to God and saying, how can this happen? How can this be allowed to happen? all the same, I will trust in you. Mm. And I think it's that, you know, we don't have to pretend. And I think that's, again, where I've been saved is that, you know, I, I believe in a God who can cope with my <laughs> utter raging ugliness. <laughs> mm. Mm. You have that, that uh, sort of thing to hold you. Uh, within this if somebody doesn't have that though what what how can they feel more held and I think at some points do you have to know that you can also cope as a as a just a you know a human being an average human being you can cope with your contradictions you can cope yes. with your anger it's okay to feel yes. these feelings I mean these are the basis yes. of, of good mental health as well aren't they you know allowing yourself to have these many seasons of feeling I guess Absolutely. That is totally it. It is, again, having people around you who will be with you. Yeah. And that's an act of love and that's an act of faith. Act you know, of who, yeah. who can you be that for in your life? Like, who is it who's struggling perhaps that you can go and kind of be with and say, I will see you through this. We remember who you are and we know who you are. And we will um, see you restored and return to yourself 
you know, through this process. Um, I wanted to talk to you a bit more about your career in general, actually. Um, those listening might have deduced from uh, Joanna's <laughs> um, Mykonos nightclubbing. <laughs> She's not your average <laughs> average <laughs> reverend uh she you you've obviously had a very very broad career as i mentioned at the beginning first female chaplain at london college of fashion chaplain to the forces you are a progressive priest being a female in the church and the army must throw up some interesting challenges um because they're both very traditionally male dominated establishments aren't they yeah i think that um I, I certainly got quite hung up on that when I was younger. I mean, I was 24 when I went forward for ordination training and there weren't that many female role models um, in the church and certainly not particularly ones that I could relate to. And I think, um, you know, having been brought up in a family who used to be, I stress, used to be against the ordination of women. I mean, that is the environment I grew up in. Mm. I had to do so much of my battling on a very personal level. <laughs> but I, actually, my parents and my family, all credit to them, they went on the journey with me. Mm. You know, they they had to take the um, the wrestling that I was throwing up at them and they had to be willing to get into that you know, um, fighting <laughs> with me and, and wrestle back. And I, as a result of that process, I, I think, you know, we all grew and um, I went off into the church, you know, just very sort of assured that this was who I was. It was so much my sense of identity when I went um, for my selection uh, and going forward into training that I didn't really kind of question it. And then, you know, much later joining the army, I think there were a handful of women and there's maybe 10 of us now, female chaplains in the army. I think I'm the only one with a child, a young child at home. So again, trying to find those role models and work out how to do it it can be hard. And I think one of the challenges is that I've often mistakenly found myself comparing myself with the men because that's the normative picture. And then I've been wondering why I felt so disquieted by that. Mm, mm. And then gone, oh, yeah, actually, I'm never going to be one of them. I'm never going to do this job or fulfill my calling just like they do or, or look like they do as they go about their calling because I'm simply not a man. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's not going to look like that. And so I think I've just had to sort of pioneer my own way and get on with that. Um, and thankfully now, you know, we do have women bishops um, and, you know, we've got fabulous Bishop Rachel in Gloucester Diocese, who's just the most wonderful role model for all of us. You know, thank goodness we've got, you know, great role models for women coming into the church now. Do you, do you see that um, those kind of organisational structures are really important to change and evolve the role of women in the church? Because it is it has been a problematic role, hasn't it? 
over the, over the centuries. <laughs> it's not. It's not the. You know. It's definitely a place where the, it still lags behind in some respects uh, in terms of that kind of equal footing, as you've said, and stuff. I think what we're seeing in recent decades is other voices coming to the fore. And what has been problematic for so many centuries is that 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 one voice that mediated faith and religion and power has been a male patriarchal voice that has sought to control and uh, keep, keep power. And all over the world in the last few decades, we have seen that um, monopoly on power, on interpreting the scriptures, on, a, on being able to simply bring an experience of faith out in the open has begun to be shared with people who would never have been allowed to speak, such as women, but the poor, the disabled, you know, people of colour, all those people that have so often been marginalised in their experience or marginalised in their relationship to the church, not given a voice, not given um, the, the space to speak of their faith experience or their faith in God, I always, you know, think back to the fact that Jesus chose a woman as his first apostle. You know, on that day when the when Jesus was found to be resurrected from the tomb, it was the men who were hiding, locked up in a little room, scared as anything, and they locked themselves in a dark room. Mm. You know, and it was the women. It was the women. They, they went out, they went out and they went to the tomb and they did their thing and they met Jesus. And it was Mary, you know, who who was the one who Jesus said, you know, go and tell the news, go and tell the blokes back where they're hiding that I have been raised from the dead. I wanted to just talk to you about that particular calling in, in the in respect to your program in the Louisiana State Penitentiary, which is fascinating. Tell me a little bit about that and and, uh, and what, what you've learned about faith through that. Yeah, so I worked at the prison where the Green Mile was set. Louisiana State Pen- Penitentiary is nicknamed Angola. And as you said, it's known to be one of the, it was known to be one of the bloodiest uh, prisons in America. And it has gone through an incredible transformation. But just to give you an idea of what it's like and how bleak a place one might think it is, the average sentence for a man who's sent there is 93 years without opportunity for parole. So 93 years, some men are serving 200 years. And these men know that they're not going home. So they say it takes a man 10 years to come to terms with the fact that he's not going home ever. Oh, my God. That's to give you an idea of just what a bleak place it is. I mean, men, hardened criminals, are known to break down in the dock Mm. when they're told that they're going to be sent there. And yet, as I wrote to the warden before I went, I said, you know, all of us live behind bars of some sort. For many of us, those are emotional, psychological, spiritual bars. But for your, your men, these are physical bars as well. But even there, 
we have a choice about who we're going to be. And what I have discovered in those men is, well, some of those men have been the most faith-filled guys that they have dug in and thought, if I'm here, then what can I do to look beyond myself and serve my brother inmate? What can I do to change today and bring about some hope for another person? And so that has now become things like men volunteering to join the hospice programme so that they, they make sure that nobody dies alone. I mean, there are thousands of men, six and a half thousand men in, in the prison. You can imagine it's the biggest geriatric home in the state of Louisiana. And they want to make sure that nobody dies alone. So you'll have four men who are trained in the basic care needs for one of their brother inmates. And they will keep vigil with him. They will look after him. It's gritty stuff. Wow. Yeah. And yet they will do that. And what is so beautiful is one one guy who trained, he is an inmate, he used to be on death row, and then his sentence was commuted. And he he trains men to become hospice volunteers. And he said, had these men had the compassion that they have now, they would never have committed the crime that they committed to come here. So powerful. And I think what I saw there is that if you can look at a person despite the worst thing that they've done and that those those men could be described as the worst of the worst. If you look at them and you are prepared to see the human being that they could be, the best man that they could be, that changes how they can show up in your presence. And it gives them a door through which they can walk. And they have to make that choice. You know, it takes so much strength to transform but it is possible and it is the most hopeful place I have ever been. I mean, it's you know, if you can find faith in in a place like that, then faith is not in short supply if you really <laughs> go to look for it. Um, I could talk to you for hours about, about everything we've talked about here, but I must ask you my final question and let you go. Um, tell me, in terms of the upcoming year, What's your next big challenge? What are you moved to do? What What are you feeling called to do now? Well, it's going to be deploying with the army. So yes, it's you know a motivation by God, um, but also by my soldiers, you know, whom I love. So I'm deploying on Optoska later this month and going there until April. So it's a big thing. I'm going to be saying goodbye to uh, my husband and son for a long time um and that's a tough one mm. I think that that um that balance of motherhood and calling um is that, another podcast, is another podcast. <laughs> yeah. how are you gonna I mean just how are you going to approach that once I've got past accepting that vegetables will go uneaten and teeth <laughs> will go unbrushed <laughs> I think it's that trust, isn't it? It's trusting that if God has called me to this, then he will equip me, but I can trust him to to handle my 
my son and my husband who I've left behind and ensure <laughs> that they are surrounded by good and loving people who will keep them distracted and wider family, you know, um, hopefully being able to um, spend time uh, with other households, you know, so that Rafi can be with his cousins as much as possible and know that he's part of his tribe, even though mummy's away. So it's going to be tough. There's no doubt about it. Have faith you'll come back and he won't have a full mouth of cavities going on. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what's your what's your big wish for next year? I mean, obviously people, you know, people say 2020, I can't wait for it to be over, etc. It is rather arbitrary to say that, but 2020 will go down in history as, as a, yeah, a memorably tough year. 2021, what would you like to see happen? I hope that we won't totally try to go back to the way things used to be I I hope that we won't lose that sense of how much we need one another and that we will continue to keep an eye and reach out to people who we wouldn't choose to normally but we'll do it because we're community and we've learned this year that we're community and we look after each other so, you know, even in that just really simple neighbourly way, I hope that neighbours still look out for each other and get together. And I hope that we we get to be with the people we love again. I, th- I think that's my number one wish. I just want to be with the people I love, as well as remembering people who perhaps in previous years I just wouldn't have noticed and I hope that I've kind of been awakened by what's happened this year. Joanna Jepson, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Anna.